Miracy. I'm Ridgely Goldsboro, and you're listening to Making It. I run a business called the Partner Attraction Formula, and we help you attract great partners to your business. When I was a kid, I had a very difficult childhood. My great-grandfather was a dude named Theodore Hamilton Lastly, who started a couple of bottling operations for a little shop called Coca-Cola, as a result of which I grew up surrounded by enormous wealth, and it was terrible. It was nothing but control freaks. You do this, you get this. You don't do this, you get nothing. We're going to cut you off unless you toe the line and do what you're supposed to do. And I flat out wanted nothing more than to get away from it all as fast as I possibly could. My grandmother, who was the matriarch of the Coca-Cola fortune, did not approve of my dad because he was NQOCD. That stands for not quite our class, dear. And as a result of that, meddled in the affairs of my mother and father to the point where they got divorced. My mother, aided by the vast fortune of my grandmother, took me and my two brothers and left and went 3,000 miles away to Europe, where I grew up. I didn't see my dad for two years and spent eight years in and out of courtrooms with legal battles for custody until finally my dad said, this is killing everybody. I'm not doing this anymore. And he quit. So we were protected under the money umbrella of my grandmother, but in a very difficult situation for the overwhelming majority of my childhood, all the way up to my final year of high school when I came back to the United States. I've always been interested in learning. I have lots of different degrees that I don't use. I just got them for the sheer joy of it. So I had very, very good grades and was able to go to community college during my senior year of high school because the courses at the high school weren't advanced enough. And then went on to the University of Virginia. And for me, that was the moment of liberation. It's, oh, I'm no longer under the thumb of any of my crazy relatives. Now maybe I can learn to shine on my own. And when I got there, I had three very, very important goals. One was to have as much fun as possible. The second one was to make a bit of money so that I could have as much fun as possible. And the third one was to meet as many beautiful ladies as I could to have the fun with. And with those three goals, I said to myself, I know what I'll do. I'll become a Spanish major. I speak Spanish better than most of the teachers. This is a great idea. And I can coast through the whole thing, except that the head of the Spanish department, he pulled me aside one day and he said, Ridgely, guess what? You're not going to coast through my department. If you want to stay in the Spanish department, you are going to take courses that are in keeping with your skill set and your knowledge level. And I suddenly became the youngest undergraduate student in the graduate Spanish program in the history of the University of Virginia, literally three to four years younger than everybody else in the program, arguing with well-known poets about the meaning of their own poetry, getting stuck in my own arrogant head, but at least having a good time and learning the intricacies of literature in a foreign language. When I finally finished college and went out into the big world, I had this idea that I should go to Hollywood and become a famous movie star. Arrived in Los Angeles, realized that they did not need me. That was a shocking revelation to me. There were other people who were actually more talented and more committed than I was. And so I started my first company in telecommunications and worked a lot, decided I should go to law school. By my third year in law school, the company was making a sufficient amount of money that it made no sense to ever be a lawyer. 
So I graduated, took the bar in the state of California, passed the bar, and never practiced a day of law in my life other than for my own companies. I believe that successful entrepreneurs have an underdeveloped sense of fear and a very bad memory. In other words, we can quickly forget about the failures and charge into the next thing, so to speak, without a lot of hesitation or need to overanalyze. And I also believe that oftentimes it's better to be first than to be smart. So in our telecommunication company, we weren't all that smart. We were just first. And we would go into a new country. We would open up an operation over there and we were first to market. And one of the biggest advantages over my entrepreneurial career has been the ability to see something before others see it and then jump in and find the resources, look around. I built a big, big network. I'm a ginormous believer in masterminds, masterminding, and always networking. That old saying, your net worth is going to be directly correspondent to your network. And I believe that. And I also believe that networking involves the word work for a reason. It's something that has to be actively done and built. And so to me, largely the, the making it peace was, okay, we have an idea, let's dive in. Who do we know? What does it look like? Do we have a market edge? Let's go. And interestingly, you know, having started 45 different companies and most of them failed, in many cases, I didn't have the right network or I didn't have the right idea. But each time there was a failure, there was a lesson. So to me, every time something went down, it was like, okay, what do we do wrong here? What are we taking right into the next thing that we do? And fortunately, the successes, economically at least, far outweighed the failures. What are you doing to improve your skill sets? What are you doing to sharpen your sword? What are you doing to get better so that the value you offer to the marketplace is bigger? People get paid by the value they offer, not how much time they put in or how hard they work. Therefore, the more time you can spend working on the greatest asset that you have, which is you, and improve that so that it becomes more and more valuable to the marketplace, the better you will do. And not only that, the more enjoyable the journey becomes. When you finally get to that place where people begin to recognize you as a master of something, as an expert of something, as someone who makes a big difference in something, it's such a rewarding feeling. And it doesn't come from grinding. It comes from working on yourself and developing your skills, your knowledge, your understanding. Yes, also your network. Working on yourself to me is the most important thing an entrepreneur can do. The way in which I've found to bounce back from what I lovingly refer to as educational experiences, namely business failures, is to take some quiet time for myself. Sometimes I'd go to the mountains, sometimes I'd go to the sea and sit alone and ask myself, could you do anything differently? So for me, the solitude piece, the ability to go to prayer, chanting, quiet, meditation, whatever a particular person's thing is, to go to that quiet space and dig deep. Are you willing to do it again? Can you give it another go? The mental side, the mindset piece of, yes, you can, I think is the biggest differentiator for the entrepreneur. 
Because the entrepreneur is not necessarily afraid of failure in the short term. Hey, that's part of it. I'd rather fail really fast. Every time we put out a new product into the marketplace, I'm already making the assumption that our first marketing efforts, so to speak, are not the ones that are going to work. Therefore, how fast can I fail, figure out what doesn't work, and then tweak, optimize, adjust, et cetera, till we get a hold of what does work and then make it a lot bigger. I have a list called the life's too short list. And it simply means if you're on that list, life is too short to work with you. So I try to find like-minded people who really do want to make a difference in the world, who have a good work ethic, who have a good sense of themselves such that they are going to do the right thing, even if it costs them, and then avoid working with those who don't. And quite happy to fire a client. If a client is not a good fit, then I'm going to just say to them very politely, yet firmly, I'm sorry, I don't believe that we're a good fit for each other. Here's somebody I can recommend, etc., and send them on down the road. Because if they're on the life too short list, then life is just too short. So for me, making it is all about taking your vision, your idea, finding a way to convert that into value in the marketplace, and then putting it out there. And once the concept has been proven, and has shown to be a value producer for the marketplace, scaling it. Scaling it to where you can look back and say, wow, check that out. We built that thing. That's pretty cool. Amazing how many people are using this. For us now, we have clients literally all over the world. And it's such a great thing where we can sell something in a different continent every day is pretty remarkable. The making it piece is not so much the money. It's, wait, I had an idea, we had a vision, we went after it, and it worked. And we accomplished something, we built something, we made something that made a difference in this world. I think that piece is more important than the trappings that come along with it. I'm asking myself on a continuous basis, what are we doing next to help people? I put out literally three pieces of new content every single week. Why? Because it's part of the legacy, it's part of the body of work, it's part of the ongoing contribution that I could make out there in this world that hopefully impacts as many people as possible. I'm Ridgely Goldsboro, and you've been listening to Making It. You can find me at www.partnerattractionformula.com, and I hope you have a fabulous, amazing day. Remember that if you see someone that needs a smile, give them yours, because a smile is a little curve that sets a lot of things straight. Making it as part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab and Just Between Coaches. This episode of Making It was produced by Danny Bermant and Jeff Govertson. Cynthia Lamb is a supervising producer. Danny Innie is our executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. So you catch the great episodes that are coming up on Making It, go ahead and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.